Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. It's the New Books and Literature Podcast. I'm Philip Woodavine, and today I'm joined by the fiction writer J. Robert Lennon. John is the author of seven novels, including Mailman, Familiar, and Happy Land, and recently the story collection See You in Paradise, which I had a chance to read and that we're going to focus on today. John, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to start, I guess, uh, start with the outside. Uh the jacket copy on this book says that it uh, draws from 15 years of work, and I guess I was curious, were you working on these stories as a collection over that, that period, or is this, uh, is this like collected from things you had finished separately over that, over that time? I think I always thought I was working on a collection, but what collection it was changed fairly regularly. I think the, that mm-hmm. I'm a novelist um, primarily – um, although okay. I, I cut my teeth on short stories and and love them very much and try to write several of them a year at least. Um, hmm. So over 15 years, I maybe wrote 30 stories that I thought might be worth putting into a collection. Um, All right. And after a while, after publishing a couple of novels with Grey Wolf, I thought it was, you know, they were, they, they I was enough of a known element with them that I could, uh, I could convince them to publish a story collection, which is a little harder sell, I think, than a novel. Sure, sure. And, um, at that um, point, I sent I sent my sent my editor. Um, I maybe I took the thirty stories and whittled them down to about twenty, and then I sent those to him, and he cut six, and then I asked him to put one back, and we were good to go. What was so, the um, What was the story that you guys were debating over? Just out of curiosity, uh, it, it was Weber's head. <laughs> I like that one a lot, actually. I, I didn't see Thanks. it coming at all. I was, I was curious about where, what Weber's head was going to be, and then it turned out to be, well, it turned out to be Weber's head. Um, <laughs> I guess that makes me curious. Uh, again, um, I mean, in either case, it seems like there was both an element of, of planning and, and an element of spontaneity there, too. You're just sort of you're generating work, and then it, it becomes um, whatever final thing you know it, it ends up being or... Um, how you work it out with your your editors, but in either case, I'm curious about the long game kind of in fiction writing. Being that most of the books in your bibliography um, are novels, and you and as you say, you 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 think of yourself as a novelist. Um, yeah, is the shorter stuff what you find yourself doing on the side of that, or do characters and stories of of the short work kind of divert from the same creative process? How does that kind of fit into? I think uh, the stories that? are a, a completely different. Um, completely different endeavor and they mm-hmm. don't i think i'm fairly methodical about novels no I, I think when i'm writing a novel i try to get into the um into the feel of the thing and take it for what it is and get you know a, let a certain degree of inspiration take over but in in general for sure um i'm accustomed to trying to write to uh, trying to complete a novel every you know three years uh right. with short stories i can't really plan for them i mean there are times when i thought okay i've got a few months coming up where I don't have any projects due and my novel's been handed in and I'm just going to write short stories and then I don't. Hmm. Um, what usually happens is I'm in the middle of something else and a short story occurs to me and I just push everything aside and, and work on that. Um, and if this, if a story works, it usually comes very quickly um, as opposed to novels, which of course are, 
are more laborious for most people anyway. Sure. Um, I actually had a creative writing teacher tell me that uh, the short story was the end-based form, and you kind of had to, the end sort of had to be in some way prefigured in the very beginning of it. Do you, do you find that to be true? Are you finding that maybe as opposed to a novel where, I mean, you're, you're following maybe one character throughout one big, long experience um, with a short story, do you, do you find that when you start, do you know where you're going to end up? No. I mean, it, sometimes I do. Um, but sometimes I feel that way with novels. My last novel, Familiar, I had the last scene. I, I had, I really had the last scene like eight years before I wrote most of the book. Um, hmm. Whereas the short stories, I think it's different every time. Sometimes um, it often comes from a voice. Uh, hmm. uh, the last story, it's not in the book that I published, which is called um, Bread Man, came entirely from a voice and a, hmm. an experience I had in a coffee shop like 20 years ago. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to end until I started writing it. Others, I, others I do, I do know the ending and I ended the place I want to get to. Um, but I, 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 I think the older I get, the less I feel it's possible to generalize where anything comes from because I, um, sure. I, and I know for some writers, it's probably more uh, consistent. Um, and it was for me early on, maybe because I was, uh, naive, not naive. I was, um, Afraid. Well, I was definitely naive, but um, I was inexperienced and was kind of afraid to do something weird um, mm. and wanted, wanted to learn how to be a consistent writer who could always produce something. And I, I did things more or less in the same way. But, um, but these days, I, I feel mm. like I have a little bit more freedom to, uh, to fool around. Okay, that, that definitely opens up um, a question for me, which is just that um, has your, maybe your experience of your creativity or your relationship to your creativity, has that changed? Since you started writing, I know that you were um, an MFA student at the University of Montana, right? So you, I don't know if your experience of the workshop was, was very much like my impression of it is now, which is where there's a model and you kind of have to follow it and, and it's, it's very like a realist school. So um, has your, maybe from the very beginning in the MFA to where you are now, has that experience of your creative work changed or I guess your creativity or how stories occur to you in a voice or however they do? I actually think of grad school and a couple of years after grad school as a, as a kind of idealized um, sort of a honey colored time. I, and something that I'm trying to recapture all, all the time. My workshop experience, my workshop was, a, um, I had pretty good teachers, I think. And, um, uh, but it was a big workshop with a lot of people doing different kinds of things. And my wife mm. and I and a few friends of ours um, were really into the kind of experimental or, you know, um, we're, we're into kind of the obscure corners of, of 80s fiction. And so mm. a, a colleague recently said to me of my short fiction that um, it, it's – the thing she liked about it was that I kept creating puzzles for myself to solve. Pro I create problems hmm. for myself to solve, and each story is a self-contained problem. I never thought of that, but I, I found that both a flattering characterization and one that is maybe useful for me in, in analyzing and revising my own work. Um, so that's what it's That's cool, yeah. 
Yeah, I was trying to use um, the when I was in grad school, I tried to use the short story as a, a um, platform for experimentation. And not that I'm in any way an experimental mm-hmm. writer. Um, I'm only experimental in the in the sense that within the my aesthetic, I want to try different kinds of things. Um, right. But uh, I, I think that's still the case. And sometimes I will hit upon something. You know, the short story is requires less of an investment in, of time and energy than a novel, and I'm much more willing to mm-hmm. try something unusual. And occasionally that will lead to a frame of reference or a type of syntax or uh, some some other some other narrative quality that um, uh, ends up uh, informing novels. Um, but I love, sure, I love sure. my, I love my workshop. I love the fact that people argued a lot. Um, I met four or five people who um, became uh, my greatest critics, some of whom still are. And uh, right, right. I think of his colleagues and friends. So, uh, you know, and now that I have a full-time job and I have kids and um, other, other things I have to worry about, uh, I think getting myself back into that headspace that I was in when I was, you know, 25 um, is a is a constant effort. I'm trying. I'm trying to Absolutely. do it right right now, actually. <laughs> Not right this okay. second, but uh, in the next week, I've got to start. I've got to get into revision mode for my next book, and um, I, I don't feel like a writer. I feel like a. I feel like a, sure, t- sure. Ti- a tired professor right now, and I got to. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's the end of the semester. I guess that makes um that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. I like a lot of the way you're talking about. Um, your approach to this stuff, um, just thinking about syntax, even at the level of syntax. Um, I, I kind of want to bring you back to this idea of a puzzle, though, because I, I like that a lot. Um, and sure. I was reading a review of uh, See You in Paradise by, uh, oh, I forgot his name, but um, he said he said that it kind of, the guy who was writing this review was sort of, sort of like had become bored with short story collections because he felt like it was just like the same thing over and over again. And he, and he would, um, he found your your collection to be um, a pleasant surprise because it, it kind of read like a mixtape. Like it all it all sort of tied together in a way, but there was there was individuality within each story. And if we think of the story "See You in Paradise" as kind of like the title track of the of these collected fiction uh, fictions, I guess I'm I'm really curious to hear um, what what was the puzzle for you in that story, um, and how did that how did you find yourself challenging yourself in that um, particular world and character and all that uh, uh yeah that's i mean it was my publisher who chose that title like i i agreed to it mm. of course but i i had preferred a couple of other titles and um they liked that mm. one and they they're the ones who thought that that story sort of stood for something so i hadn't really thought of it until the book was called that <laughs> and then mm. um and then i i guess uh, i realized it was sort of true i think the subject the thing i was getting at in that story is this idea of a character who thinks he's one kind of person and he in fact is a different kind of person. And, um, yes, another, yes, definitely. Yeah. There's another story, um, of mine that's not in the book called, um, the impossible man, which is, was in the past review and you can, it's on their website. You can go and read it, but, um, All right. uh, it didn't make the cut because a couple of other stories were doing something similar to it, including that one. Um, but it's another story about a guy who, who really believes that he's one thing and his, uh, Everything he sees and thinks is filtered through is rather um, is rather uh, bent through this prism, you know, or this lens of um, his own self regard. And this is sort of a great right, right. fear of mine. Of course, I I I don't, you know, I'm I'm hyper conscious of the notion that I am coming off differently from the way that I think I am. I, I guess that's true of everyone, but um, it seems to sure be definitely. I mean, of me too. 
Um, yeah. So that, so that's a theme I was going for in there. And I, I, you know, I think of the whole process of sort of trying to create the self as being ridiculous, um, and, mm. uh, and, and funny. So that, you know, the, the tone of that story came from that, um, the silliness of that struggle. Absolutely. I, um, I was thinking of this, my, I didn't email this to you, but, um, if you have a copy of it sitting around, um, Oh, I don't you, actually, but okay, here's what I'll do. I think, um, and this can be a, a heavily, more heavily edited section, but if <laughs> I send you the first, uh, first couple paragraphs, I would love if you read the first two paragraphs of see you in paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead and send them, send them through. Um, I'll slot them in and then, and then we can continue as if we never stopped. Oh, editing. All right. <laughs> yep. 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 Great. Sorry about that. No, that's totally fine. I should have said something. And actually, um, you know, I probably have the ebook here on my laptop if that'll be quicker. Oh yeah, do it. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, actually. Just let me open my ebook, uh, what you call it. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yep. See you in paradise. Brant Call was a pretty nice guy. He lived in a small rented house on a quiet street in the town where he went to college. He always shoveled his walk when it snowed, and he always said hi to passing neighbors. And though he was young, he graduated only a couple of years before, he acted like he was 37, and everybody liked him for it. And Brant liked that everybody liked him. When somebody told him how much they liked one, another, one or another of his good qualities, he reacted by striving to enhance that quality so as to become nicer still. Nobody ever pointed out his bad qualities, which included gullibility, impatience, and a creeping smugness because they thought it might upset him, and in this they were right. In Brant's world, people did not point out others' bad qualities. He grew up in the suburbs, hauled old ladies' trash cans to the curb, and was named after a beach in New Jersey. He was not introspective. It didn't occur to him that being universally liked might be a bad thing, or even illusory. I like that. Uh, I like the readerly voice you kind of take on as you're reading that. It's like, a, I don't know. Uh, like the narrator or the yeah, and it's know, only reading this too that that I remember that the story even has an omniscient narrator um, who's making judgments, um, which kind of right, disappears right. disappears later in the story. Um, but I I feel like the shadow of it um, still is useful for the you know for that for how you read the rest of it. I like to think definitely, that. yeah. Um, and I mean, you brought up syntax, and this is definitely true of See You in Paradise's story. Um, one thing I appreciate about your characters is they seem to sort of inflect the narrative voice. So um, and when it's the POV of Edward in No Life, uh, the story about a couple looking to adopt, there's there's a lot of wows and yikes and, and judgment and, like, you know, single-word sentences with exclamation points at the end of them. Um, and in those moments, it feels like the story is being mediated more through Edward than, you know, the standard omniscient uh, narrator. Um you know, to whom, you know, Edward is in the third person. So um, I guess what I want to say about that is that it seems like the diction. Um, oh, well, I should say with Brant, there's there's things like a big honking donation or they got on just great and like smooching on benches. And, and it seems like these are things that the narrator in no life wouldn't have said or, or I don't think he would have. Um, no, and though there is there is a there is an omniscient narrator here. Um, it is channeling, you know, it's it's the it's the free and direct style. I think that's what. James would call right, it, right. or um, indirect discourse or you know whatever you however you want to refer to it. But this this idea that the omniscient narrator takes takes on some of the not the precise language necessarily of the character's thoughts, but the um, the general feel of them expressed through diction and syntax. Right, and I uh, I just kind of wanted to give a, a great example of that. Um, 
in No Life, uh, there's a sentence that goes like, or there's two sentences, and it's like, uh, Edward finds himself on the floor, his legs splayed on the terracotta quarry tile, his back against the cabinets. Hey, how do you get down here? Um, so there's the narrator that knows that these tiles are, are terracotta quarry tiles, and then there's the splayed Edward who isn't quite sure how he ended up on the floor. So um, I... That I mean, that's that's the that's the vocab term. Definitely, it's free and direct style, um, and it's it definitely allows for a huge amount of flexibility that I see in a lot of your stories. Um, what I'm curious about is, to what extent do you find that that the stories you're writing are told by you, um, the guy with the massive vocabulary, or um, <laughs> by by your characters who tend to vary from story to story? Yeah, well, there's a there's an old um, bit of writing advice that says you can't, you know, you're you can only your characters can only be as smart as you are, which I actually don't agree with because in the microcosm of the book, you can you can take three years to do what is taking your character ten minutes. You know, so you can you can make the character seem smarter than you by by dint of your ability to take your time and do research and not be in the in the moment. Um, however, oh, sure, there's, yeah. there is I do feel like um, you know I do feel like all these narrators are iterations of myself, and often the the sound of my stories, especially the super short ones um, that mm-hmm. I've been publishing lately that haven't been collected yet. Um, they're really, they're really about like p- patterns of mental repetition and um, mm. uh, kind of like ticks almost. Um, there's a bit where um, Brant in this story uh, is, can't is bewildered at the con at the idea that somebody might not like him. And one of the reasons is that he, I can't remember the exact examples, but he has these voices that he does, like what he thinks of mm. as funny voices. And, old Jewish uh, lady. Oh, duck. yeah, here it is. Couldn't he do a wide range of voices, including old Jewish lady, old black guy, and duck? Which, you know, to the reader, this guy sounds like a clown, right? But to right, himself, right, right, right. he's thinking of these things as virtues. And I, I, I'm kind of conscious of the, you know, the goofy voices I do around the house and thinking, God, oh, God, that's so much fun. I must be a riot. And of course, of course right, I'm right. not, I'm not, but I do feel like this idea of talking to yourself and sounding a certain way when you talk to yourself and liking the sound of your own voice, um, is mm-hmm. though it may make you obnoxious in real life. If you're not careful, is actually very useful for a fiction writer. It's hilarious in this story. I find um, that was a story, that was a great line that I thought I might bring up with you, but then you brought it up. Um, but yeah, um, and then further down that page, um, Brant is has like an ellipsis, and and then he says, maybe maybe um, the the love interest in the story's uh, laughter was actually indecorous, and indecorous just seemed like a a complete a different person's word. Um, so interesting interplay with those two things. I um, so I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit. Sure. Um, and, and talk more about maybe composition and less so creativity or, or what you're tapping into. Um, there's a snippet on YouTube of you, YouTube of you, uh, posted by the Paris review. And in it, you say that even in good reviews, there's a sense that the reviewers is liking it wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I kind of want to proceed with that kind of in mind, um, that we might be talking in some way about two different books and that we might have, or at least two different ideas of the same book. And, um, and, and that's interesting in itself, but then that kind of contrasts with another uh, snippet of you on YouTube. Um, you give a lecture called Thanks Blanks. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, at uh, Colgate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that, you say that that's sort of how literature is actually working, is in, in its absences. Um, and 
And, and I guess a lot of what literature is doing as opposed to film, for example, is, is sort of just giving the reader material to imagine their own worlds and characters with. So yeah. um, I, I guess the question becomes uh, how much of, of what you're doing is actually what you're not doing and how much and when you're working on something, are you thinking about the role of the other person in the story or leaving space for the reader to think about stuff or how do you? Yeah, I, I think you're always working the spaces. And, and once you do it enough, it becomes a kind of second nature where the mm. – um, you know, it, it's it, it's it's almost like the you know the way the mic drop is the is the most important part of the of the speech or the song or the comedy routine. It's like the it's like right, the right. the cesura when it's over and you get to react to it as the as the comic walks off the stage. I feel like you right, do right. that. You know, the little performance that is writing that you're doing for an imaginary audience. Um, there's lots of moments like that where you you got to give a line space to resonate a little bit. I, th I think mm. one of the most common mistakes that's made by young, but very competent writers, which is to say like my graduate students, they're extraordinarily talented people. Some of them quite a bit more talented than I am, but who have not um, generally become as confident as they eventually will. And as a result, right, right. kind of making sure they're making sure they're being clear. Um, mm -hmm. Which, uh, you know, in some kinds of writing is, ex is extremely important, but in, but in, um, fiction and poetry, I, I think, and, and like creative nonfiction, um, just sort of leaving it out there, letting, letting the penny drop for the reader and not, um, not showing it happening. Um, it makes for a more powerful reading experience. And it's, you know, what's what we love about reading as opposed to other forms of narrative art, um, right. which are maybe a little bit more, tyrannical by design sure sure yeah um there's only one point of view in, in any movie i guess or uh, there's one way to look at everything that's going on um that's a good point i um and i kind of want to push you a little further on that um because there's and i can't cite it but i just sort of remember tc boyle saying something about how um writers even though if they're writing in isolation or they're doing their work um on their own in, a, in like solitude they're they're still doing a, a kind of performance um you know for the reader um do you find that true of of the short fiction that you're doing is it is it is there a, a sense that you're putting on a show or yeah definitely and in fact the shorter the story is the more i feel that way um mm. i actually uh, I actually just wrote a story that's like a thousand words long. Was, I actually, the last mm. day when I teach the graduate workshop at Cornell, which I do every two years, um, we, you know, we cycle through the, um, the faculty. Uh, mm. I, I reserve the last day of workshop for every, everybody to write a thousand word story, including me. And we just all, we don't, you know, and this, you're not required to mark them up. You're not required to give everybody you know, uh, um, written memos. You just sort of have a free for all mm. workshop and it's, it, it's a lot cool. of fun. So, um, Sounds like, yeah. yeah, so this year I, I wrote one cause I have, I have a reading coming up, uh, in Queens next month, uh, mm -hmm. in which I only get 10 minutes at the mic and I wanted to, mm -hmm. I wanted to do something for, you know, that's performative, that's for a reading. And so when I started this, right, doing right. my story for the workshop, I thought, okay, I gotta do something like that. Um, but it, but as I was writing it, it, I was definitely, definitely speaking it aloud in my head, super loudly. Um, mm -hmm. I think when I'm writing a novel, uh, again, other writers will probably respond differently to a question like that. But um, I find it more like it it becomes less immediately verbal. It gets buried more and more into consciousness for me, which is not to say that I don't feel my novels have a voice. I think they do. But um, 
that is foregrounded in really short fiction. And I, I do definitely feel like I'm performing it as I'm reading it. And it, you know, it's also a byproduct of writing it quickly, um, which you can't really, can't really do with a novel. Um, the fact that, you know, the idea that I'm going to, I'm taking a big breath and I'm just letting it all out over a certain number of pages and then I'm Mm -hmm. done with it with a draft. Right. Right. Um, that's an, well, that brings up another interesting question. I, so when you're, when you're working so, when you're working so quickly with a short story and as opposed to a novel, you, you're, you're getting it all out in one kind of one sitting or one draft. Um, do you find that your revision process varies, um, with the short fiction that you do as opposed to the, the novels that sound like what your what is like your main, main focus or. Uh, so you broke up a little there, but the question is that it, uh, is it, um, it, the process changes from story to story or. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it seems like, um, it seems like short stories are, are things that are moving more quickly. Uh, when you're, when you're writing them, like the first draft is going to be done much more quickly, obviously, um, than a novel is when you're revising, does, does it change the way you revise? Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, I think that it's not, it's not that, um, it's not that everything is preordained um, much as where the where the idea comes from, where the voice comes from, where the story comes from, uh, has sort of profound effects on how I'm going to treat the writing all throughout the process of drafting and all of the revisions right up to the very end. So, for instance, mm-hmm. I um, uh, have I just got an idea for a novel. A couple of months ago, I've been writing these very, very short stories um, Mm -hmm. with the same two characters in them. And all of them are between like one and three pages. And after giving a reading of one of them, someone told me I should – I said I would read a novel of that. Okay. So I started – I dragged a bunch of the stories into a new document and rearranged them and revised them a little and then added some stuff as though it were a novel. And I got about okay. 30, 30 pages of it. And it may, it may or may not end up becoming a novel after I finish the thing I'm working on now. But, um, but the point is that it suddenly has shown itself to need to be written a certain way that is very different. From sure, the, sure. From the manner I wrote the, the novel I just, I just finished. Um, okay. And so it's like, you know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's kind of a facile metaphor, but it's like any sort of, human relationship you the thing you know the the things you that were okay to say to one person are not okay to say to another the things that please one person are not going to please another and so the way you know it's if if you're married to one person your day-to-day life your demeanor the way you think about the things you say and do uh is cast one way and uh if it were somebody else you would be a different person so i feel like with, with the novels and stories uh you're you're trying on different ways of being, I suppose. That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I guess, well, I'm, I'm really curious about this, this new thing that you're working on. Um, especially as something that started off in a much different form, like a shorter, smaller thing. Um, did you, did you find as you were writing that, did it, did the characters just seem to have more to them than that? Or were they, I don't know, I guess there's, there's like a Mark Twain, Twain quote about how nobody sits down to write a novel. They just sort of, they, they make up some characters and, and see what happens. And if, it goes for a certain number of pages than it does. Is that been your experience with the novel you're working on now? Uh, do you mean the one I'm, I'm revising for publication or the one that I just conceived of? Uh, the latter one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. In this case, you know, I, I had no, I had no thought of 
making it a novel. Um, I just thought of these two characters, um, really over the top, horrible people who are intentionally dislikable, um, who are married and have a terrible marriage yet belong together and are never going to break up sort of trying, Mm -hmm. trying to endure what for other people are normal, you know, normal human interactions for them are, are a terrible strain. And, uh, they, you know, it's, it's almost like it's these over the top characters in an, in a normal world. Um, and Mm -hmm. that contrast is supposed to be funny. And I, when I started writing these, I conceived of them as that they don't have names. They're just he and she, uh, the, the dialogue does not, there's no quotation marks. Um, the dialogue is just, is just rendered in the same kind of prose as the, as the narrative. So I, so, so, you know, I have to be very careful tagging things. And then the effort of tagging things clearly gives it a certain, um, to me, appealingly artificial, um, kind of, uh, you know, repetitive, but in an almost, uh, in a kind of litany of he, he said, and she said, uh, okay. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. So, so like the, um, the characters, the characters created the, created the form and then the form started iterating on itself and began to reinform the characters. So, um, it's this kind of, uh, this kind of closed universe of, um, kind of aesthetic choices that I made by accident. Uh, right. and trans trying to translate this into a novel is going to, is going to create differences as well from, from other ways of doing things. So it's true. I, 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 I think it's at least for me, and I do set out to write a novel often, but, mm-hmm. um, it, I, I always set out to write one novel and then end up writing another novel. I've said the thing, I've said mm-hmm. this before, probably in interviews, but certainly to students, which is your, you know, your novel is perfect until you write the first sentence and then it's ruined. Um, right, right. But you kind of have to, if you want to do, if you want to get anything done, um, you have to kind of accept what, what you're given uh, to right, a certain right. extent and say, okay, I don't have that thing that I thought I was going to have, but I have this other thing instead. And this is also a thing. And maybe, maybe I can right. accept, make something of this. Definitely. Um, definitely, definitely. I, don't have a segue for that. That's a big thought. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess there was really one last question I had. Um, and it's, it's sort of like a biographical one. Um, I mean, and it sort of relates to what we were talking about earlier, but how do you find your other roles in, in what you're doing now? You're the, you're teaching creative writing, um, I think I read that you're the director of the Cornell's creative writing program or that, that just changed. Thank goodness. That's, that's been turned over to another professor. So I'm just a, I'm just a normal professor now. Oh, right. Um, I guess the question is, has teaching writing changed the way that you think about the, uh, your own work or the work that you're doing now? Are you more attuned to, um, you know, the, the nature and the patterns of storytelling that you, you now have to impart to other people. It's, does that change the way you think about your own stuff? I'm sure it has. Um, and occasionally something will happen that will show me how, uh, but for the most part, it's a little bit mysterious to me. Um, for instance, this semester, there's a thing that, um, I do with, um, 
intermediate, advanced, and graduate fiction workshops, which is I don't I don't assign a great deal of reading, um, mm. uh, but I do assign an anthology, usually the latest best American short stories. And the question mm. that I have students ask themselves, and we ask each other, is not um, is is as much it is 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 this story good and why but also and maybe more importantly why do people think this story is good why is this story in this mm. anthology that is called the best american short stories and what do those words mean and and why is it in here um mm. and of course you know many of those stories i don't like uh as as and which is probably the case with everybody um mm. but in my case i i I start to see, and one thing we noticed this semester, me and the grad students, is everything increasingly seemed like a series of moves. Um, okay. And sometimes they're good moves. Sometimes it's like, oh, that move. I know that move. That's a good move. Uh, other times it's like, oh, that move again? Are you really doing that? Right, right, right. Uh, I can't say that I like being that way. It's, um, it, uh, it feels uh, ungenerous somehow, but maybe. Sure, sure. So I'm tempted to think, yeah, maybe that comes from teaching. Maybe that comes from the need to take apart and instruct. Um, on the other hand, maybe that's just from being a writer uh, sure, and sure. having tried out stuff and, you know, th getting ideas that seem, you know, and it's, it happens to everyone. I'm sure they have ideas that seem original to them, but have been done 150 times before in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if this is a good change in, in, in the way I see things are a bad one or if, if it can e even have a value attached to it. Um, but it does, I, I guess I'm glad I've been a teacher. Um, I mean, ideally if I were independently wealthy, I would, I would just be sitting around in my sweatpants, um, you know, making things up in my head all day, but I don't know if I would, get right, more, right. I don't know if I'd get more done or if it would be any better. Um, mm -hmm. And this engagement uh, with people less experienced than I and the need to justify to myself and other people, the things that I do in my own work, um, mm -hmm. I can't help but think is in some way, uh, beneficial to me. Definitely. I mean, I, I, it, what occurs to me is that you have to think so much more closely about, um, about everything that you're doing. I, one thing that it seems to me, what you're saying is that in having to teach, um, writing, there are certain, there are certain ways that what you like about writing becomes formalized or it becomes more set uh, and in a way that you can sort of talk about with other people uh, or teach them. Um, I guess what I would like, I, I, I'd be curious to know in that kind of environment where what you like about storytelling becomes more formal or more, um, more set. Do you, are you still experimenting like where you were, like you were back uh, in the, in grad school or is that, is that, are you finding yourself, trying to write just trying to write another novel or um yeah i recently i recently um got a promotion at work like i you know i became a full professor which you, you get to do after a certain number of years and publications and so on which is mm -hmm. of course like a great valedictory thing that i'm very happy about but on the other hand it's like, like there's that little part of me it must be akin to the way some some people think about marriage though luckily i i'm i don't which is oh shit is it is going to be this for from now on, I guess. Oh well, right, right. Uh, and it made me realize that yeah, it's very easy to feel that way about certainly about academia, about anything, but in this case, about mm -hmm. about teaching that like you've got your syllabi, you've got the things that you like to teach, 
Uh, you got your ways of doing it, and that's how you do it. And you can just keep mm. coasting on that for for the rest of your life if you want. Um, I'm feeling the certainly not the desire, but the tendency to get set in my ways, uh, both as a teacher and as a writer. So the past few mm. years, especially, I've really been working to um, think a little bit differently about things and try to get back some of that experimental elan that I enjoyed when I was a graduate student. Um, to that end, I, right. a couple of years ago, I, I started, um, one thing I'd always, that always bothered me about myself was that I can't, I couldn't write longhand, uh, it's mm. many years since I've been able to write longhand and take myself seriously. I wrote one mm. novel longhand, um, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and then, typed up the second draft on a manual's typewriter as an experiment. Okay. But, um, but since then I've, I've just been using a laptop like most people do. Uh, then I, I switched to a notebook, uh, again, two years ago and started doing stuff that lent itself to being written in a notebook. Hmm. Uh, and that was interesting and it made me write a different kind of short fiction. I, so I'm sort of slowly cobbling together a collection of weird short things that maybe someday I'll send out as a, as a manuscript, as a, as a book. Um, but for the time being, it's been my kind of, uh, experiment, experimentation lab. Uh, sure, sure. and I take things out of it and I put things into it and I, I invent categories of things. And then I try to iterate within the category of thing. Um, and, and that has inspired, not inspired, it's influenced the novel that I have coming out next year and, or a year and a half from now. And is certainly influenced, the novel that I just thought up and may pursue after I'm finished with this one. So um, hmm. I feel like things are looking up for me in terms of like keeping, keeping the uh, excitement alive, the kind of keeping yourself in the dark. So you, so that maybe you bump into something interesting. I think when you get hmm, to be my age and right? you have a bunch of books out and you have a job that you can rely on, it's very tempting to, um, it's very tempting to not be in that mental space anymore. Uh, right. And a lot of the time I don't want to be, you know, I, I, I would rather be comfortable a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, but I've been trying to fight against that recently and I, I hope it's working. Sure. Um, it seems like kind of a, a, like you said, a laboratory that you can not only just work within, but take things out of and bring it to other things. Um, would you say like shorter pieces, like cobble together, shorter pieces, like, um, pieces for the left hand, would that be sort of, uh, an experiment? Do you, do you look at that as an experiment? Or? Yeah, although it's it, this thing is a bunch of different kinds of things, um, whereas that was uh, a bunch of stabs at uh, one kind of thing. Um, so I almost right, right. The, there's a part of me that almost thinks of that as a novel because it was always after I'd written about fifteen or twenty of them, it was always going to be a book, and I thought of it as mm. okay, I'm the, uh, look what I'm doing. I'm writing a book. I'll just do more of this, and then I, mm. you know. I sustained that over, I think I wrote maybe 110 stories and got rid of, got rid of 10 in the end. Hmm. Um, so I think that is a project that was always of a piece. Um, whereas hmm. these things are almost, almost pedantically aggressively trying not to be like each other. And if things have to be like sure. each other, I, I sort of, um, I sort of corral them into a little, a little titled section uh, that kind of announces here's a bunch of stuff that's this way and here's a bunch of stuff that's another way. And then there's a bunch of standalone stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and in this collection, I guess in particular, um, is that 
is is the accursed items um, a name that you found applying to a bunch of of entries in that in that same mode? I guess. Yeah, although that's the oldest thing in the book. I actually wrote that at my desk at the first job I had after graduate school. I was the receptionist in an art museum, and they gave mm-hmm. me a um, even at the time it was old um, DOS computer. Um, like an, I think it was an IBM computer with like, you know, amber text on a black screen. Okay. And you'd run programs from the command prompt. And, um, and I wrote, I wrote the, that story on this, (laughs) on this computer, uh, at my desk. Uh, and just, I think it was the, I think it was the first sort of successful in that I wanted to send it out and publish it sort of Mm. odd little thing. Um, and that kind of, I guess that convinced me, okay, I can do these things out of school. Like I'm all, Mm -hmm. you know, or rather I'm always in school, you know, I'm in, I'm in the school that I'm the only student in now. And this is the kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I ought to, I ought to make an effort to do. So that definitely is a thing that I, especially when I was putting, um, see you in paradise together that I was looking back on and thinking, oh yeah, this is a thing I used to do and I should continue doing things like Sure, sure. Um, well, I think you've exhausted all my questions, and okay. um, so I'm just gonna I'll thank you again for coming on, and uh, looking forward to seeing your new your new stuff. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. <laughs>